0: Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we sit down with special guest, Dr. Patrice Harris. Lewis Carr is the founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, the Blueprint Men Summit, president of media sales at BET Networks and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Dr. Harris was the first female black president of the American Medical Association, and she is currently the CEO of EMED. Today, she'll be discussing her personal journey and break down practical career advice for listeners. Let's get started.
1: Hi, I'm Louis Carr, and I am the founder of Waymaker. And welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat. Today we have as our special guest, Dr. Patrice Harris. Welcome, Dr. Harris.
2: Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here with you, Lewis.
1: So so Dr. Harris, one of the first things I, I saw when I was doing research on you is that you went into medicine because you saw a TV series from the 70s called Marcus Welby MD. Now I'll tell you, I know that series very well. So I was a little shocked because I hadn't heard that in, in a while. So tell us about Marcus Welby, Indy, and what sort of motivated you to go into medicine? What did he do, or did not do?
2: Well, Louis, we're we're showing our age here, but but yes, <laughs> yes, I was a wee little girl and uh, TV and saw this TV doctor, Marcus Welby, white, middle-aged, uh, family medicine doctor. But what I liked about Dr. Welby was he not only took care of patients inside the exam room, you know, through through a little girl's eyes, I also saw him caring about families and communities. And I also saw that as a physician, he had a platform and that people listened to him. And even at that young age, I must have believed early on that I had something to say or at least would have something to say in the future and wanted to make a difference and I saw that platform and so the ability to take care of patients you know right there in the exam room but to also care about families in the broader community and to have that platform uh, was my motivation and I have to say though never did I ever dream that I'd have the platform of being president of the American Medical Association, but that was certainly uh, what motivated me early on to become a physician.
1: So uh, let, let's, let's just, since you brought it up, the, 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 the first uh, African-American president of the AMA, tell us how did that happen and, and what type of journey to that position uh, for you? Was it something you always looked for, or was did you wake up one day like, who, who, me? How did that happen?
2: And and I do want to give homage to the first African-American uh, president of the AMA, Dr. Lonnie Bristow. I am the first African-American woman to be president of the AMA, so there's been, been two of us. Uh, I'm the first one Thank you for that correction. No, No worries. I always like to make sure we give... Um, honor to those who have come before us, right? Uh, this 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 uh, journal, Waymakers, and certainly Dr. Lonnie Bristow was, was one in the 80s of the AMA, but um, I was the 174th president, and I love the way you say, oh, did you just wake up and say I'm going to be the president of the AMA? Because clearly um, it doesn't work uh, like that. As you know, it was 30 years of hard work, but Early on, I knew at the end of my residency here in Atlanta at Emory, I went down to Psychiatrist Day at the Capitol, right? And I've always been interested in politics and appreciated and understood politics and policy, uh, but, but it went down to the Capitol actually at the end of my residency and fellowship training. And I really just had my aha moment about how policy and politics shapes my ability to take the best care of my patient. Or unfortunately, sometimes interferes with my ability to take the best care of my patients. And so I had an aha moment. You know, I overheard another person speaking to his legislator, uh, but quite candidly, um, the information was not based in science and not based in evidence. And so I knew that it was critical for physicians to to be there, to be engaged in policy. And so I first became really engaged in Georgia uh, with my local psychiatric state society. And so after I became involved at the state level, I moved up to the national level to the American Psychiatric Association. And it was about that time that specialty societies gained more delegates to the AMA House of Delegates, and it's a lot of inside baseball. But you know, I call the AMA House of Delegates the Congress of Medicine, where as representatives from every state, every specialty, the medical students, young physicians, minority affairs section come together and make what will become the policy of the AMA, and that of course guides our work at the state and local level, and so and national level. And so, I was appointed a delegate, and. We um, in the psychiatry delegation realized, um, and remember this was 30 years ago, that um, certainly we were not the only ones to realize this, that when it came to mental health care and the appreciation and understanding of mental health, um, it has always been seen as sort of other, you know, extra We'll get to mental health if we have time. And we wanted to make sure that we had psychiatrists representing every committee, every council at the AMA, and one day be on the board and be elected president. And so we had a strategic planning meeting. And with my background in legislative activities, I was appointed to a very prestigious council at the AMA and then ultimately elected to the Board of Trustees and ultimately elected uh, president. And yes, there, there, there's an election, a contested election. I had to debate in front of the House. But uh, fortunately, um, I was elected president in 2018 because we are elected as president-elect. And then I assumed the presidency in June of 2019.
1: So when we say that it's a journey and a process, that's really an understatement.
2: That is an understatement when it comes to the AMA. Certainly a journey well worth it. Throughout my career, there have been many detours and successes and setbacks, but it is absolutely a journey to that position.
1: So Dr. Harris, there has and there continues to be a lot of mistrust. Uh, in the Black community uh, about medicine and the medical profession. And I think that was highlighted uh, during COVID. Well, it was still in COVID, but it was kind of highlighted when, you know, we had debates on to be vaxxed or not be vaxxed and went back and forth. How can we sort of eliminate some of this? And I said we. Uh, meaning you as a medical pro- professional and and me as a person who is disseminating information, how can we do a better job in helping our community trust medicine in general?
2: Well, you know the first thing we have to appreciate is that trust is earned, right? No one just bestows upon you uh, the grace of trust. You have to get in there and you have to earn it. And uh, so I think that's the first thing that we must do as a profession. Now, fortunately, in the broader perspective, healthcare professionals, physicians and nurses are among the most trusted professions in the world. But as you note, uh, we have not done the work that we need to do to earn that trust, particularly in the black community. And again, we saw that again, highlighted uh, with COVID. And so, the first thing you have to do is show up. You have to be present. You have to go to communities and you have to ask, you know, and I've been guilty of this in a couple of my career with the best intentions. Sometimes we go in as experts and leaders and we we want to help, um, but we don't take the time to sit with the community and ask and say, listen, we know that we need to earn your trust. What must we do? Right. We, we shouldn't even... Um, rely on what we think we must do. We must ask. We must start with the community. And once they tell us what we must do, we must do that. We we must act. We must listen. Uh, we must be willing to course correct when we make mistakes. We must be willing to be honest and tell the truth about the past and the present. Uh, you know, we had a lot of conversations around the United States Public uh, Health Service experiment at Tuskegee. And and Lewis, I say that, it's a mouthful, it's a lot of words to say, I don't shorten it to Tuskegee, because it wasn't Tuskegee, right? It was the United States Public Health Service who ran that experiment. And so we have to talk about that and, and we are uh, talking about that and we need to continue to talk about that and do whatever we need to do uh, you know, to, um, to restore that trust and and that reconciliation, right? Reconciliation comes after truth-telling. And then of course, the stories around Henrietta Lacks and the stories we hear today um, where we are going into communities and perhaps um, asking communities to, and this is so important and I do this every day, asking communities to participate in our clinical trials, but then we have to go back to the community and say, this is what you helped us learn. Uh, this is, this is you. you, you helped us here. So again, it's a process of getting in with the community, asking um, what we must do to earn their trust and, and, and going back and saying, have we earned your trust? And continuously being present in the community, not just going in when we need uh, the community, but staying present and having the community as partner, And then, of course, making sure that the community gets accurate um, information. We know we are in a context of a lot of misinformation and disinformation. That was one of my proudest moments as president of the AMA. I think uh, that people saw an African-American woman as a leader. And um, I I told the truth. Uh, Also, we must say what we don't know. You know, listen, I'm a doctor, I can tell you, we, we, we have a hard time saying what we don't know, but sometimes we have to say, look, we do not know the answers to this, but here's what we know um, based on our best available evidence.
1: So uh, I made a mistake earlier when I tried to talk about COVID as something in the past. COVID is still alive and well. What is the current state of COVID uh, here in this country? and especially in the black community.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you you um, said that because we are still in the midst. And, and you know, we can have scientists and uh, the appropriate debate about what is the definition of a pandemic or when does something become endemic? And that that's a great academic exercise, but the fact is thousands of people are still dying from COVID. And that disproportionate impact that we saw at the very beginning uh, still is the same. We have more Black people who are hospitalized with COVID. We have more Black people who are dying uh, with COVID we have fewer Black people who are getting access to the treatment. And, and this is important to me. Now we have, you know, we, we had the antibody treatment, but you had to, to get an IV and that was tough. And now we have the pills. And I'm not saying um, that, that everyone should take the pills, but what I do want and I'm committed to, and we should all be committed to, is equitable access to information, to evaluation for the medication, right? And we see, Inequities in that as well. So unfortunately, the inequities that existed pre-pandemic, that we saw exacerbated by the pandemic, they continue today. And so we must not lose sight of that. And so uh, that means, and in the interest of full disclosure, you um, you know that I am the CEO and co-founder of a company called Emed, and one of the reasons. Um, I I went in that direction was I wanted to increase access to testing, but I say that is because we have as our business uh, uh, a platform that allows at-home testing. But that aside, I want people to know that, but that aside, testing has been and will always be critical to knowledge. Uh, And then people can uh, do with that what they will. We have, um, you know, times where you want to see your family and you want to be sure that you are um, you know, not infected, actually, with, with COVID or the flu of anything, by, by the way. And and so we are still in the midst of this. We are certainly not where we were at the very beginning, but we are still in the midst of COVID. And so we all still need to be, um, be careful and be proactive and take care of ourselves and our families and our communities.
1: So I'm glad you brought up the testing part, Dr. Harris. Um, I had COVID. I guess now, probably five months ago. My wife got it. She tested positive first. Then I took an at-home test. It was negative, but I wasn't feeling great. Then I went to a medical facility and I took a test. I took two tests. It was negative, but I was feeling worse as time went on. It took me four Test, And the only reason I was sticking to making sure, because I was going to be on a panel with LL Cool J, and I said, I don't want to be the guy that is being known for giving LL Cool J COVID, right? So that's I right. stuck with this testing. It took four tests for one to show positive. And that's one of the things people are like, I don't have any symptoms. I took a test, It said positive, but I don't have any symptoms. I had symptoms and I took several tests and it said I was negative. How should people really be looking at testing nowadays? And how sure are we?
2: Well, the first thing I want to say, um, you know, as as you know, and our listeners know, there's no uh, one test that's 100% accurate on on, on a lot of uh, issues. Um, And uh, different tests that are on the market today are. Work better in certain situations. For instance, and you mentioned the at-home tests. Um, the at-home tests, some of the antigen tests, are best uh, when you are most infectious. Uh, but we have to realize that um, this virus has been evolving. This virus is very smart. I, if if there's one lesson I hope that we all learned is humility because this virus has evolved as viruses do, by the way, I've said this before that this virus gets an A plus in doing what viruses are supposed to do. They're supposed to evolve and figure out how to infect us, right? And, and once we build immunity, they, they're supposed to evolve. And that's why, um, and one of the reasons why I understand the confusion sometimes um, in the public, because there, we may say something now that may be a little bit different from now. So the first thing I want people to know is, um when it and my grandmother said this. How about this? She said, My grandmother said, When well, you know better, you do better. And I've talked about that. And so it's about continuing to follow the best evidence of science and then and then communicate that as, as best we can. And by the way, I think. Uh, we could have done a much better job in communicating um, the, these messages. And that's one of the lessons that I'm going to, many lessons that I'm going to take away. Uh, so I, I think people should uh, sometimes, if, if they if they are feeling bad and uh, having symptoms of COVID and the tests are negative, my recommendation is that they should assume uh, that they have COVID and then take the appropriate uh, precautions. And, and you did exactly right you first uh, took a at-home antigen test which again are very good when you are at your most infectious but the way this virus sometimes um, and and here i'm going to get out of my depth we have a fantastic chief science officer and he can talk about um, the antibodies and the antigens and the timetable and that changes over time so i think people should know that but if you're feeling ill you can start with the rapid antigen test. We suggest serial testing of less two, at least two. You did that. Then when you went into a clinic, you probably took a PCR test. And sometimes, again, depending on how much viral load you have in your nose, um, those, again, could be negative. So, so the key is to do exactly what you did. You knew you weren't feeling well, and you uh, you continued to test, and you had this very Important event, and you did not want to to get uh, LL uh sick, um, and and so you 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 went in, and uh, you know it was finally positive. But that will change over time. But I still uh, believe that there's so much value in in testing and testing early, um, particularly if you are symptomatic.
1: So let's let's change from COVID to. <clears throat> diversity in the medical profession
2: where are we at as of today It it is not good uh it, it is not good and particularly not good when it comes to black men you know the the night of my inauguration June 2019 pre-COVID I said I wanted to highlight a three important issues during my presidency, in addition to the strategic priorities of the AMA, number one was the importance of mental health and overall health. Uh, number two was the importance of increasing diversity of the physician workforce, but this goes across the healthcare spectrum, but not in the service of a checkbox. You know, some people get so caught up in, we have to have X many of women and X many this, It was it's really in the service of, of equity. And if we look back over time, um, we look back at um, the Flexner report. Um, it, at, as a result of that Flexner report, there was some increase in quality of medical training, but also um, they closed uh, several medical schools that uh, were training Black physicians. Mm-hmm. And so we have to go back and appreciate that we have not always made it easy, the path easy uh, for. Um, communities of color, students, doctors from communities of color to go on that journey that I described uh, to you early. And so we have, we should be on high alert, red alert, and doing all that we can to increase the diversity of the physician workforce. I mean, we, the data shows, and and by the way, I do want to say this does not mean that um, only Black physicians can take care of Black patients. And, you know, we're not saying that. Uh, but we do know that when there is a diverse team, the whole organization performs better. So I will say when there's a, a, the physician workforce is diverse, it lifts up the entire physician workforce. You have others around the table who can appreciate issues around these health inequities and the social and structural determinants of, of health and some of these other issues. So um, you know, we, 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 are, we have a long ways to go. Um, I know there there are programs out there. I'm in Atlanta. I live in Atlanta. I know the Morehouse School of Medicine. I know some of the other um, um, uh, medical schools are working on this issue, but we should. this is a a 10 alarm fire and we should be doing all that we can to increase diversity. And by the way, as a child psychiatrist, it's important that we start early on. Uh, You you talked about waking up one day and saying, oh, I'm going to be president of the AMA. You can't wake up too late. I mean, it's never too late. I went back to medical school at a later age, but I'm just saying you can't decide at the last, on Tuesday, that you're going to apply to medical school on Wednesday, right? You have to take all the prerequisite courses, biology and chemistry and all that, and math, and and that means that you have to have that prep, and so really we should be preparing our, our students, by the way, for higher education. Of course, I want everybody Uh, to go into medical school. But it doesn't matter if you want to be a plumber or electrician. We need to make sure we're preparing our students um, early on. But I have to say, particularly for medical school, the journey is hard and long. It's very competitive uh, to get into medical school. And so we really have to start early.
1: So do you think that this lack of diversity also adds to the mistrust that our communities have for the profession?
2: I think it can, I think it can. Although I do wanna be careful because the um, earning that trust is the job of everyone. Uh, But we've seen uh, some studies where African-American men uh, take the uh, healthcare guidance and recommendations um, better uh, from African-American doctors. And I would imagine that trust has a lot Uh, to do with that. So, you know, we can't, you know, tie one. There's no uh, causation. Uh, But clearly, um, when you have people in the room, not necessarily the exam room, but um, in the hospital, in the clinic, um, who look like you, I think that absolutely adds to uh, trust.
1: So, Dr. Harris, we at Waymaker, Believe that every successful person has had a waymaker. Can you talk about some of the people who have been waymakers for Dr. Patrice Harris?
2: I can, and you know, there's 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 so many to name. But I first want to start with my family, my mother and my father, who. Um, In talking to them when I said I wanted to be a doctor, it was just, okay, right, not a big deal, whatever you want to do, and just supported me through that journey. And I think about both of my, actually, I think about my my grandparents, um, none of whom had formal education, but my maternal grandmother made sure that all of her daughters, now remember, this is my maternal grandmother, didn't have any formal education, but made sure all of her daughters went on to some education beyond high school. What a role model for me that was, right? My mother was an educator, her sister, my aunt's a nurse, they all went uh, uh, to schools. My, my other grandmother uh, just made sure that, um, that I had a strong sense of who I was. And and that's certainly held me in good stead, you know, in all the years and the challenges and the doubters um, that, you know, all of us, many of us begin to internalize that. And even I, at one point in my career, I said, well, maybe I am not as I'm not smart enough to go to medical school. And so. You know, we always have to constantly uh, tell ourselves that. But I remember, uh, you know, my my from my paternal grandmother who always showed me that you should have a strong sense of, of who you are. And my maternal aunt, I have a story. You heard me say that I went um, back to medical school a little later with because of some detours and some discouragement. And I did get discouraged. And then I decided I'm going to go back. And 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 someone said to me, well, you're going to be old. <laughs> When you graduate from medical school. And my, I told th- my aunt that story, and she said, Well, you're going to be old anyway, hopefully. So you might as well be old than a doctor. So, uh, you know, so the, just my family, um, you know, was certainly um, way makers for me. Um, and then uh, you know, Dr. Rosalind Barnes Griffin, who was the first psychiatrist that I ever met in the flesh, Black woman, a physician who just, was there and through her presence. I said, all right, I can see it. I I can be it. Um, And then just so many mentors I've had along the way from my mentor here in Georgia, who, you know, said, I can teach you how to lobby, right? She said, you know, the issues I can teach you how to lobby and took me under her wing. And I, again, I think uh, that certainly went a long way in my rise to leadership at the AMA and just uh, so many other uh, folks that the, the, uh, the four, I was the fifth uh, woman to be uh, president of the AMA, and the women that came before me, where um, they used to say the women at the AMA uh, at one point could meet in a closet, right? And now, you know, we're actually across this country, 50% of the uh, medical school class. So I've had so many people who made a way, and then there's people that I'm not known that I that I that I wish I had known. But let's I want to give you know to Rebecca Lee Crumpler, who was the first African American uh, woman uh, physician, uh, many many years before, and a woman who was not a physician, but Katherine Johnson, who we we uh, you know saw her story um, come to life, and she was from West Virginia. Uh, so, uh, anyway, so so many people uh, that I that I can name, and it's just so important. And I realize the value of people who came before me uh, that made uh, my path um, uh, possible.
1: <clears throat> so, as we close, when we think about the medical profession, in the first place we do think is doctors, but we also found out in COVID that healthcare workers in general are extremely important and there's not enough. So as a young person who may be listening to this, where do they go to start learning about all the opportunities and the different areas that they can work in in the medical profession? It can be overwhelming, just like when somebody wants to say they want to be in the TV business, I'm like, where? And they just kind of, So where does a person start if they're thinking about the medical profession?
2: Well, you know, I'm quite worried about social media when it comes to our youngsters, mental health, but I would say that there is uh, a lot of information now that, that folks can at least avail themselves as what are the, you know, you could just Google potential opportunities in healthcare. And as you said, there are, there are so many from, you know, certainly being a physician to respiratory therapists who are very important, uh, to nurses. And I, um, you know, think that we do need uh, to do better a better job at making sure we are reaching back into the schools, something we do um, at the AMA and at the National Medical Association. And many medical schools have these programs where they reach uh, to high school level and elementary school level to begin to to think about uh, careers in medicine, uh, we I participated in and and at the AMA in a doctor's back to school, and and the AMA is not the only one, but there are several um, organizations that have these doctors back to school where we go to middle school and say, look, here we are, and you can do this. You can be a social worker, a nurse, a doctor, a physical therapist, a respiratory therapist. I, I do want us, uh, and this is the royal we. Um, I do think we need to to be more um, systematic about reaching reaching down. Uh, it's a bit ad hoc, and so I think all of us, the rural, we need to make sure we're going back, um, working in our communities at that level. Uh, you know, so a lot of folks, uh, you know, we uh, we uh, many folks knew about these health inequities pre-COVID, and with with George Floyd and with COVID. A lot of people made statements, right? And a lot of corporations. And so when I talk to CEOs, I say, uh, look at your community, get active in your community, be a good community partner. And, and I could say, I say this out of, um, uh, of experience and, and something we did at the AMA, even though the AMA is an organization, national organization physicians all over this country. Um, we decided that we were going to make a commitment to the West side of Chicago. So we were going to be a good community partner right there. And so I'm hoping that other large organizations with resources uh, take our lead and and look in their communities. And again, not only address um, health inequities for their employees, and a lot of uh, folks are doing that, uh, but also how can they be good community partners. And this is one way to do it, to make sure that um, they're working in the elementary schools and, and K, all through K through 12 uh, to make sure that they are lifting up the communities and, and showing them what career opportunities are out there.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Harris. This has been great. Uh, not only uh, did you let us know about your Waymakers, but clearly you are being a Waymaker. Uh, I grew up on the west side of Chicago. Didn't know if you knew that. <laughs> And so clearly (laughs) uh, I appreciate that. So thank you so much for joining us uh, today on the Waymaker Fireside Chat. And uh, we look forward to talking to you even more as we continue our journey to recognize and help create more Waymakers.
0: So thank you so much.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and Dr. Patrice Harris. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know in our social media at Waymaker Culture. Don't forget to claim your Waymaker Journal at waymakerjournal.com. And be sure to enter the Waymaker giveaway by going to waymakercontest.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode.